This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast. Today is Friday, April the 2nd, 2021, second day of the fourth month of the new year. Looking forward to today's show. We're going to be speaking with Jeremy Melody, who is the associate head coach at John Carroll School in Baltimore, Maryland. We're also going to talk a little bit about what happened in college basketball yesterday. Roy Williams decided to retire. He did not feel as though he's the right man for the job anymore. He had an awesome 33-minute speech at his retirement um, press conference, and it was pretty interesting to hear how he spoke about his players and his team, and you could see how he truly was a graceful coach and a graceful winner. 903 career wins, which I think is pretty awesome. Final four starts tomorrow. Looking forward to that. We will talk about that tomorrow morning, but I'm really excited about this guest. Jeremy has done an unbelievable job. I've gotten to know him closely as a friend, and you'll hear that as we talk here on the show. But, you know, he does a great job as a player development guy, a great job as an associate head coach, and one day he will run his own program. So when we come back, it'll be Jeremy Melody and I speaking here on the show, and we will be back right after this. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one. Welcome back to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. Looking forward to my next guest, Jeremy Melody, who's the associate head coach at John Carroll School in Baltimore, Maryland. Give you a little background on Jeremy. He went to Lehman Memorial in Connecticut for high school. College, he went to Loyola College in Maryland, now Loyola University. He graduated there in 2000. He did start as a pre-med major, but through his time on campus, decided that education would be the route to go, which is what he got into. He graduated from there as a science and a math teacher. In 2000, he started teaching and coaching at Overly High School in Baltimore County, was there for six years. He's worked all the Morgan Wooten camps up at Frostburg State, which is where he met his now boss that he's been with for the last 15 years on the sideline at that camp as well as the top 100 at Loyola College. In 2006, he teamed up with Seth Goldberg at St. Paul's to start building that basketball program, and he went to teach there as well. Was there for 12 years, and in 2018, Seth and him made the jump to teach and coach as well at John Carroll, and they just come off winning a BCL championship. I know you're a busy guy, Jeremy, but I wanted to thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. I, I, I have a lot of fun talking with you all the time, and I think this is a, uh, this is a great time to... Uh, I actually have some stories to share, so. <laughs> now, now, I'm excited to hear the stories. Um, you know, we've known each other for a while. I mean, hell, my first year as a head basketball coach at Goretti, I opened up against you guys at the MAIT, and ironically, your best player, Sid McRae, who now is the head coach at Goretti. So it's one of those where all the things intertwine nicely. And, uh, you know, I always enjoyed watching you guys from a distance, the way you run your programs, and I have a lot of respect for the way that you and Seth do things. So let's talk about the BCL championship. What's it been like building John Carroll, and what's it feel like to be the guy that holds the trophy at the end of the day that Friday night? Well, that last part, that feels amazing. Uh, uh, you know, we were able to do it three times at St. Paul's, and it's it's just one of those feelings you always tell the kids when you're on, on the way 
you know, on that journey to get there, like it's hard to explain what it feels like, but trust me, it will be worth it. Everything we go through when you get there. And I think they would agree with us. Um, when we experienced it, you know, last Friday, it was an amazing journey. The kids took us on, um, you know, taking over three years ago at John Carroll, um, you know, Emmanuel quickly, Montez Mathis. Um, these are familiar names to, to most people in the basketball world. And, and those guys with, you know, they had a graduating class of about nine or 10. I think we lost the, the what would have been the 10 best players on that roster were gone mm -hmm. through either transfer or graduation. So when we got there, we only had a couple pieces left um, and mostly inexperienced pieces. And we had to bring in a group of kids that were going to kind of write, help us write the next chapter in John Carroll basketball. Um, and, you know, we, we went through our lumps that first year we were playing this group that just won the BCL championship in our first season, they were freshmen and sophomores. And when you're playing in the Baltimore Catholic league with freshmen and sophomores starting on varsity and playing the majority of the minutes, you're gonna, you're gonna get beat up a little bit. Absolutely. And we did, we did that first year we, we won five games. Um, but you know, the kids never, we, we kept, um, in their minds and in our focus, the, what we were after in the long-term plan and just, you know, everything, this is a learning experience. Let's learn something from every experience we have this year. They never really got down. I'm not saying there weren't, you know, there was adversity and there were issues that we dealt with obviously, but by and large, the kids stayed with it. They, 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 they stayed focused on the long-term plan. Um, that next off season, they, they just, they really wanted, they got after it. And in their second year, in our second year, um, we won 22 games. We went from five to 22 wins, which shocked a lot of people, I think. Um, but it was just that development that those guys, they worked their butts off in the gym. And then this year, you know, this was a tricky year because obviously there's a lot of teams across America and Maryland and, and our area that did not get to play at all. Right. Um, we thought for a while, maybe we would be one of those teams or that our league, you know, luckily our league was able to get together and figure out a way for us to play. It was a shortened season, but our off season was, it was not really what we would normally have. I mean, for most of the off season, we, we either weren't allowed to work or when we were working, it was, one or two kids and they were going against air, you know, you had, you couldn't really go against the defender. There was no contact. So, um, kids, some, some of them on their own and some of them, you know, just through, you know, we got creative in terms of how, how we handled it, but, um, they came back better. We had a little rocky start. We started two and five. A lot of people have written about that. And I know early in our year, um, people were ready to jump off the ship, not, not within our program, but people, pundits and, and media who were, uh, kind of rallying around us from the outside were saying, what's wrong? You know, what's, what's going on. And, um, we knew it was just part of our normal process and we could talk about that process if you want, I would love to. but you know, we, we ended up clicking halfway through won the last nine games in a row, including three in a row in the um you know baltimore catholic league tournament and and we we came out as champions and it uh feels amazing 
you know, you, you mentioned a couple of things in there. And, and as we talk, I jot notes down. You mentioned player development, which I think you guys do an unbelievable job of. Um, it's really impressive to watch you guys and how you have built teams from a distance. I mean, I would run into you guys when you would take teams up to the hoop group team camps and, you know, and obviously just following the Catholic League when I was a college coach, you know, I could go down and see what you were doing at St. Paul's and watch how you build everything. When you look at player development, talk me through what your mind is, what your process is, and how you feel as though you can determine what kids need and how you're going to approach it from a coaching perspective. Well, just like everything we do, and there's going to be some coaches and even fans that think we're crazy for this, but we give the kids a ton of input on everything we do. Okay. Um, They have a lot of ownership. And, um, so obviously Seth and I have our ideas of where a kid, you know, given his physical makeup, given his athleticism, whatever it may be, we base a lot more off body type and, um, the way that a kid can move more so than height. I think a lot of coaches base stuff on height, like what your position is. It's for us, it's your skill level that determines your position. So how does your body move? What's your body type? What things that do you already do naturally? And we will have our own ideas, but we'll bring the kid in in the offseason and we'll say, hey, listen, in an offseason, we can focus on really one main thing and maybe one or two other minor things that'll get a little bit better. But we're going to try to get great at one thing. So in your mind, what are the two or three things that you would like to develop that you think you need to add to your game? you could pick anything and we do that from a skill standpoint and then a, uh, a strength and athleticism standpoint as well we have them pick a couple things and sometimes they match what we think and sometimes they don't and we find a way to marry those um we consider the off season we call that the me season so in season is the we season okay. the off season is the me season and that's where we we make a commitment to our players that the offseason is about you. We are going to develop you as a player. Um, I think a lot of coaches probably do that, but they're developing that player's skills in terms of what they need from that player next season. And there is some of that for us, but we're also looking and trying to project out if this player is going to be a college player, if this player is going to get recruited at the highest level they can get recruited at, what skills do they need? So we're as much focusing our offseason on what that player will need to become the college player and the final product that we, you know, in terms of what we'll develop that they need to be as it is what's going to help us next season as a team. Mm -hmm. And then we consider once the season starts, it's our job to figure out in whatever progress we've made with each player, how do we then marry those different skills into an offense? Um, but that's that's kind of how we look at it. And the players have input throughout. Um, a lot of times in the spring, let's say um, I want to work with a group of kids on, you know, adding a dribble move to their game. Well, I may have eight or ten dribble moves that that I kind of like and I may have an idea for each one which one is best for their game but I'm going to show that group of players all eight or ten we're going to work on them for about a week maybe two depending on how complicated it is and then I'm going to say hey you're not going to you can't use all eight eight or ten of those which two do you like Mm -hmm. and and they'll tell me 
And I may say, well, you know what? I, I agree with you on this one. What about this one? Right. So at least they've picked one out of the two, sometimes two out of the two. All right. Those are your two for the rest of this offseason. For the rest of the offseason, in every workout we do, when I say dribble move into this, those are your two dribble moves. You do those ad nauseum, and and one of them is going to become your signature move at some point. Um, so I, I, I kind of take the approach in the spring. I let them eat from the all-you-can-eat buffet. Mm-hmm. And then we, we pick their favorite meal at some point, and, and we start narrowing it down so that I don't think you can get great at 10 things. You have to, you know, here's your one, here's your signature dribble move that you're adding to your game this year. Here's your signature finish that you're adding to your game. But they've picked from, you know, six or seven or eight that they've experienced at some point early in our offseason so that they can, again, giving them ownership. I think, you know, if you can give kids, and this is something that Seth and I believe, and I think a lot of people do, but if you can give kids ownership and give them a choice, they're going to buy into that and get after it even harder because that was their decision. Now they've got to make it work. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, and and they don't want to fail. So when they own it, it's going to be worked right. on a lot harder. I, I totally agree with you on that. And going to blame if you fail when you picked it, yeah. right? So you can't fail now because you don't have an out. You know, when when I look at your teams, they all shoot the ball really well. You got a dude right now that throws darts, Tyson Commander. I mean, <laughs> I, I watched him at Goretti last year. I want to say. You're going to know the stat probably better than me, but I think he scored like 21 or 22 in the first half. Um, yeah. You know, what yeah. was what was that like to get a kid like that that can shoot? And how do you do teach shooting? How do you guys go about your shooting process to make better shooters as for your team? Yeah, it's, well, it's evolved over the years. So it's easy to teach shooting when you get a kid that comes in and can shoot like like Tyson, listen, we've I think we've done some things to help Tyson become a better player in the last few years, but when you're starting from the raw material of a Tyson commander, you're gonna look good no matter what you do. I mean, he that kid can go. Yeah. And a lot of things he has already in his bag, and there's he has an unmatched hand eye coordination. So sometimes he starts thinking about exactly how he's going to do it like stop stop that your body already knows how to do it like just let your brain stop working so hard and and do it so his a lot of it with him is is uh you know i don't know that we can take too much credit for but we've evolved how we um teach shooting you know i think when and this is something we've talked about I know a lot is when you're a young coach you think you know everything and you actually know not very much and i think both both Seth and I, when we were um, younger and first starting, we tried to get everybody to shoot with a very similar form. Mm -hmm. um, and the, how we've evolved there, there are certain aspects of the shooting form that we still do think are critical, but we have very few non-negotiables. We, we tried to build a shot with a player based on their unique anatomy. Um, and, and the way that, so everybody's elbow's not going to be in the same amount, right? And everybody's, yeah. um, some people's feet, you know, a lot of people say 10 toes at the rim. We actually don't believe in that. We feel like to get the shooting elbow pointed at the rim is more important. Mm -hmm. So some got to turn your lower body with your anatomy and how your muscle musculature is set up to make that a comfortable movement. Mm -hmm. Um, we try to 
um, if I'm going to work on a kid's shot, let's say we have a kid coming in who I'm, I'm going to help him with his shot in the off season. I'm going to first watch him shoot without any instruction. And I'm going to um, try to pick, I'm probably going to notice three or four things that I could pick, but if you work on more than one at a time, they're thinking too much. So we're going to, we're going to, which one's the most important and we're going to make an adjustment in that one thing and just get them. The biggest thing, um, I'm, one of my favorite books is the inner game of tennis. Um, I don't know if you've read that. And, I have not. You know, it's, it's a tremendous book from the mental side of things. I know Steve Kerr, um, is big on that. And it just, it, it basically, um, instead of thinking everything through, you know, athletics is too fast to think things through. You have to feel. Mm-hmm. Okay. I agree with that. If I, if I give you this one adjustment to make, I'm going to get you in the position where you can do it a couple of times the way I'm asking you to do it. And, I, and what I want you to do, instead of thinking about that, I want you to feel how your body feels when you do it that way. And then try to reproduce that feeling. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking elbow in, if, for an example, I'm going to get your elbow in and, and I'm going to you know, kind of almost force you to take five shots that way. I just want you to feel how that movement feels. Mm-hmm. And so we try to get them to do that. And until they've mastered the one thing, we won't move on to maybe the second adjustment. In most off seasons, you can get one or two adjustments into a guy's shot. Um, and then, then it's just repetition. It's a lot of repetition and it's meeting the kids where they're at. So like if I have a kid who's not a shooter and I'm trying to get him to become a shooter someday, the off season is going to be a lot of more like set shots and, and form shots. Mm-hmm. If I have, at Tyson Commander, who can shoot. But now, right on the scouting report, everybody knows this. I've got to now find, I don't have to teach him how to shoot, and I'm making no adjustments in his shot. I'm not teaching him how to get shots off. I'm te- I'm working on the preparation of the shot. I'm working on maybe for some kids like that, we might lift the pocket a little bit so it's quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, we With one of our players, um, Jaden Jacobowski, uh, who has a really quick release. We, we lifted the pocket a little bit so he could get it off quicker. Um, with Tyson, a lot of the work has been different ways to get to a shot. So he creates his own shot in a lot of cases. Um, we try to be a, try to shoot a lot off assisted, but he's one of those guys who has a, a knack to be able to kind of get a defender leaning or off balance, get a hand down, and then get into a shot. So a lot of the work we've done is, how do you create that shot for yourself? How do you get the shot off when the other team knows they're trying to run you off the line? Absolutely. So it's different depending on the, on the different guys. You know, you started in 2006 at St. Paul's. Right. Seth was, if I'm not mistaken, you're coming from Overly. Was at that time Seth coming from McDaniel, McDaniel right? Like he's, and, yeah. and ironically, and as bad as it sounds, he was on Coach Flynn's staff when Coach Flynn passed away. And Seth kind of had to take over some different responsibilities there as well, if I'm not mistaken, in the conversations he, that we had. Actually, he, um, Coach Flynn passed our first year at St. Paul. So Okay, got you. Yeah. yeah. But I remember he was on that staff. Um, yeah. So you, you start building an MIAA B conference school, and, and you, you get going through the process – now you get to the A conference. What differences have you have you seen, if any, in in the change going from one level to the other level in MIAA world? Yeah, well, 
there are definitely changes. Um, I mean, first of all, the level of player, and we had some great players at St. Paul's, yes, but not as many. Like, you can have, you know, I know at St. Paul's there might have been, you know, in good years we had more, but I, I would say on average I had three players on our roster who year-round wanted to work on the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have 15. So that's a change, right? Oh, so, you know, at, at our level now in the in the Baltimore Catholic League and the A Conference, you're going to have more guys basketball first. At St. Paul's, we had a roster most times where basketball was either the second sport of half our roster or it was a tie for first. We had guys that were going to go to college, play lacrosse, football, baseball, soccer, um, and were good high school basketball players. Uh, we now have a roster full of guys primarily who want to be college basketball players. So that's that's a change. Um just in it, that's a good change because you you now have guys that are like you know give me what you got coach I, I, w- I want all of it I want to know all that stuff and and in the development in the offseason they want to be a part of it but it's also um, it does take a lot more time to develop I think in terms of how we run the program it it's not a lot different I'm, Seth and and uh, and I have we've worked hard to build what we call, you know, culture and culture is a cliche. It's just for us, it's a set of beliefs and values that you have. And we have our foundational values. So there's certain things that we, and Seth, I think one of my favorite things that Seth says is like, for him, culture is what you're willing to put above winning. Right. So a lot of, a lot of coaches say culture, a lot of coaches say, Hey, we're not going to stand for this, this, and this. Okay. Are you willing to make a decision that could lose you a basketball game to stand up for that value. If not, it's not your culture. It's a very good point. You know, and so for us, culture is what you're willing to put ahead of winning. And um, if you watched the championship game or the semifinal game, there was a point in the um, championship game where two of our best players showed body language and body language is a you know bad body language. That's a, that's a big thing for us. Um, I, I forget the exact scenario, but I think it was probably on a referee's call or a missed call. We took him out and St. Francis is making a run at the time, which is part of, you know, so there's frustration already in the game. Something happens, bad body language. It's what we put above winning. So we're we took our two best players off the court, two of our best players off the court. Now they don't, we're not burying them. Right. They're going to be. They were, they're going to be back in in 30 seconds, but not a lot of coaches. They, they would pretend not to see that. I think, Agreed. um, you know, in the semifinal game, we had three guys not run back on defense on a play. It wasn't going well for us at the time. Um, something happened. It was one of those sure layups that the other team was definitely going to get, but we still want somebody to cross the line, right? They didn't even make an effort. So I, we already were not deep. We had to put two guys that I'm certain did not think they were going to get into this game, into the game for 30 seconds to get those three guys off so that we made sure we let them know this is not okay. And so I don't think a lot of coaches would do that, but that's one of the things. And, and you know, it's, it's big with Seth. So I think when we came from the B conference to the A conference, you kind of have that identity 
I don't want to say identity crisis. You have you have questions though in your mind. You definitely question. I know from the outside they question. Will that way work in the A conference? You know, you've got these very talented players. Some of them are maybe used to getting their way and getting told what they want to be told. You know, in 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 the summer or in their middle school, and will a A conference caliber player, a Baltimore Catholic League caliber talent be able to work within this culture, right? Um, And will we be able to keep the same values and still have success? Um, And what we found is the answer is yes. Um, And so we didn't make a lot of changes there. We stayed pretty stubborn through that first year. We knew we had kind of a free year because we knew starting three freshmen, and two sophomores in our first year, and then coming off the bench with freshman, sophomore, junior, sophomore, um, you know, no one was expecting much on the, in the win-loss count. You know, we so we really taught culture first, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of the guys are like, when are we going to get into some basketball stuff? And we're like, we will teach you the basketball, because we know some basketball guys, but we will te- we'll start teaching you that stuff when you get this culture stuff. Like, the, the standard of how hard we play, how how we compete, um, how how we talk on the court, right? Uh, what our body language has to be. So when you're frustrated, you can't put your head down. You can't palms to the sky. You can't jog back now because you're you're frustrated. They, like we nipped all that in the bud consistently throughout that first season, and some of it may have been why we lost some of those games. We may have lost some of those games because we were so focused on that. Um, we focused more on time and score and different. We could have won a few more games, maybe come out with seven wins in our first year instead of five. But I think the, because we did that and because we were so stubborn about it, this group of kids now that we've had for three years, they live it, they breathe it, they believe in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even talk to other people. If you listen to their interviews, they're saying the same stuff we say. So, I mean, I think, um, I know a lot of, you know, you read all the different stuff and some stuff online, some stuff in print. When we took over, you know, they were really good in the B conference, but this is a different game. This is a different, and we just said, you know what, we are, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things we learned from coach Wooten is you've got to be yourself as a coach. Mm Mm-hmm. And if these are truly the things that we believe in, then we've we've got to hold true to them. And we found out, uh, you know, we're having some success. I think this stuff does work. Well, you mentioned Coach Wooten. I mean, yeah. you know, I was fortunate enough I played against him in high school being at Goretti. Um, you know, I had to play against Billy Edelin one day. That's the guy that guarded me, and that's who I had to guard when we played against each other, and he goes to Syracuse. I actually can honestly say I scored 21 on him, so I feel pretty good about that. But, you know, when you went to Morgan's camps, you yeah. learned a ton. I mean, it's almost like you were in a accelerated masters of basketball. Would I, would you agree? That's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. no, I was going to say, so you go to it and you've done this. I know obviously we're 20 years out from when you started it, but Morgan would come in and talk to you guys and have the same conversations that you're having with 
people like myself and and Seth and other coaches in the country now, Morgan would just sit down and tell stories on what they did and how they did. How much of that is influenced into you and Seth on a daily basis and what you guys do? So much, so much. I mean, Seth had a more of a, um, say, he was embedded more because Seth also then worked for Joe Wooten. Okay. You know? For, for the beginning part of his career and was more heavily involved in even like the DC coaches clinics. And so got to be side by side with, with coach Morgan um, more so, but even just being at the camps for me, I mean, coach at lunchtime every day, we'd have a round table. Mm-hmm. So not only did you have access to him throughout the day at any meal, you could go sit at his table and just kind of be a fly on the wall. But, then at lunchtime every day, we gather in a room, whoever wanted to, and I can't imagine who wouldn't want to, got to come and just sit. And it, he may have things he wanted to talk about, or he may go off a question, hey, how do you break a 2-2-1 press? You know? and, and so he talked some about the 2-2-1 press, but really the magic in Coach Wooten was not those small details. There's a hundred ways to break a 2-2-1 press. It was in the... Um, the stories that relayed values, that relayed um, pedagogy, that relayed just different ways to deal with pressure. or and, and it could have been the direct pressure of somebody pressing you, pressure defense, but it could be the pressure of a situation. He just had a way of taking a simple question and packing as much knowledge into that answer and things you wouldn't even anticipate. And to be able to do that um, – I mean, I think I went to just about every camp for the first 12 years, certainly. And then, you know, I, I haven't been as involved in the, in the last few years. But um, it was just, like you said, an accelerated master's program in coaching. And I think even more so than coaching, um, Coach Wooten was the master of people, like just dealing with people, mm-hmm. how, how to figure out what makes somebody tick and what do I need to say to that person? And and if you asked him a question about career, a career decision, he wasn't going to give you a canned answer. He was going to find out what you wanted, what your priorities were, what unique challenges you had. And that answer was going to be tailored to you. And there's a few people who really have that superpower. I think Seth is actually one of them. Who, uh, and, and there's a, a you know Seth and, and, and some other guys that were very heavily involved with um, you know Coach Wooten who really just have a unique ability to connect um, with people and almost to the point where if you're talking to Coach Wooten you feel like you're the only person that exists on planet Earth like there's no oh he's checking his phone halfway through your you know what I mean it's just he's he's you matter at that moment and it's it's big so we try to take all of that i think the biggest thing we do is everything is relationships for us Mm -hmm. everything we do it's about relationships and um it's about teaching the kids how to build and cultivate strong relationships it's about teaching them how to be leaders uh good teammates but we always try to deal with them like as people i know um, I mean, we yell, Co- coaches yell, right? But Absolutely. I think yell as much as a lot of staffs. And one of the things I've always tried to keep in mind is I try to, and this is 
some if if <laughs> there's going to be some players who have played for me in the past are going to go who the hell who is this guy talking right but this is not evolve you know we've talked about before like how coaches evolve over over their career like for me i tried to assume that the kid in front of me is giving me the best he has yes so and i wasn't always like that um but if if he's not understanding the play i don't think he's intentionally doing that so me yelling at him might not be the answer like i've got to find a way to the way I've presented it isn't adequate for him, right? Or maybe we don't need to run that play, mm-hmm. really. If, if it's, a, mm-hmm. you know, it depends why are we running it. Um, you know, if this kid's not going hard today, I don't think he's doing that intentionally, or he may not be realizing that he's not meeting my definition of what going hard is. I've got to go talk to him and figure, get to the bottom of that. And it might be, I, you know, some kids you got to yell at a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, not every kid, the same, you can't push the same button on every kid to get the same result, right? So relationships and getting to know people, I think, is the biggest thing that we take from Coach Wooten. And that's, if you talk to people, that's that's what he was so good at. Well, he, he made everybody believe in themselves a bit, too. Yeah. That was a big piece of it. And, and I know that's relationships. I mean, you know, I've changed a lot as a coach from when I was the young guy at Goretti who... I, I ran it like a college program in my personal opinion, but it was like I coached like I was a college guy. I was angry at times and I'd fly off the handle and yeah. it didn't work. And then when I came back from the college level to South Hagerstown, my first year, I was like really on the guys about every little detail, right? And I over I overloaded them and we struggled because they became robots. Like they, I would try to scout how we're going to stop this play, but they didn't anticipate all the other things that came off of it. So we might stop level number one of the play, but by the time they get to level three, it's a wide open layup. And so I had to fix that stuff. And the, but where I'm going with this is I had to change as a coach to the point that last season we went 14 and seven, we won 11 of our last 12 games. And, you know, I just went to a complete, what I call beach mode. And I told the guys, I'm a happy dude at the beach and I'm relaxed and I'm going to be a beach guy. I wore like floral shorts to practice. I had like a hat on backwards to practice. Like I took a total different plan of attack to the, to the game and to my players and they all bought into it. They were more relaxed and we, we played that way. I mean, this past year we had, we had a point guard, we played six games so, you know, it was COVID, it was tough. The guys had to wear masks. I don't know if you guys had to wear masks, but yeah. it was just a different world, right? We all can agree on that. It's just not normal. Yeah. Um, and he was really struggling. And and I kind of ripped into him a little bit. He's one of the kids you need to yell at to get him motivated. That's how he ticked, okay? Well, he just didn't look himself. So I brought him over. I'm like, hey, dude, like, what's going on? Like, it was just him and I. I, st- t- I stepped away from my assistant's. I got him away from the guys, and he's like, Coach, I got kicked out of my house. Mom isn't happy with me right now, so I'm sleeping on a dude's couch. Like, that made me think, okay, well, here, I'm ripping this kid, and he doesn't even know where his next meal and where his head's laying down tonight. So, you know, we do, as, as coaches, we do have to have those relationships to the point that they know we care, even when yeah. we're yelling. Um but, you know, one thing I learned, and I, I kind of learned this from Morgan. I never really saw him raise his voice very much. But if he did correct you in a very stern way, he put his arm around you some other time 
to remind you how much you meant. And I, I have stolen that from him because yeah. I do believe in that, that I could rip you, but at the end of the day, if you know I love you, then that's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah, and if you have <clears throat> built, you cannot rip kids without having first built that relationship. So for us, we can demand a lot out of our players. We've built a relationship where they know ultimately we have their back and ultimately we will do whatever needs to be done to, you know, to help them get where they want to be. But on today, you know, on this Tuesday, you are not getting it done and I'm going to rip you. Yeah. You know, but before you leave practice, one of us from our staff is going to go put their arm around you and say, Hey, you know, what's going on? And like, you think about that kid that you just mentioned, you could have spent the next three days in practice MF and him and, basketball is the first furthest thing from his mind and that's what i think Seth is so good at and, and we try to be good at is we try to be a staff of individual conversations mm-hmm. so um there's certain guys that off the court i'm close enough with i try not to coach them too much because okay. um you know like some of our international guys i spend a lot they don't have um parents here and I spend a lot of time kind of serving some of those purposes that a parent would. If I rip that kid, that's like dad, brother, coach, everybody ripping him at once. So Absolutely. Um, we've got a great staff of people who kind of gets how kids work. And I might say, you know, Coach B, you got to talk to so-and-so about this. You know, I, instead of me going, now he's hearing from someone different. But um, – you know, and Coach B's approach might be different than mine, but he's getting that message mm-hmm. through. Um, I think that's important, just figuring out what each kid needs. Because I think when I was a young coach, I didn't give enough um, credit to the fact that every kid is different, right? And that the button you need to push for each. So some kids, you can yell at them in front of their teammates, and they'll respond in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Some kids you can yell at as long as it's not in front of anybody. Mm-hmm. And some kids, if you yell at them in any kind of situation, they crumble, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get that as a young coach. Um, and and I, I yelled at every, you know, I, I was much more, um, you know, they say to demand without being demeaning. I think I don't think I probably did a good job of that as a young coach. Um I think I probably was demeaning at times. I think I probably did yell in a way that embarrassed kids in front of their peers um, at times. And even now, you know, our, our players always like to comment. I'm pretty quick with sarcasm. Um, you know, I, I can I can zing you pretty quickly and kind of bring you right back down to earth. I try <laughs> I try to use it sparingly, but uh, you know, the kids are always. I, I know when I'm going when I'm having one of those days, I can see the look in their face, and I just try to take a step back, you know, and say, "Okay, let me let me uh, let me be a little kinder and more gentler, gentler today." But um, yeah, the whole thing is just figuring out what makes each kid. We have a kid um, on our team this year who thrives on being overlooked, doubted, um, overshadowed, and so with him. You know, I could go like before one game, I just said, hey, are you ready today? And he kind of looked at me like, you know, what do you mean? Of course. And I said, well, you're going to guard the best point guard in, in the BCL today. And I just kind of walked away. And, you know, he, in his mind, he thought he was the best point guard in the BCL. So now he's a little pissed at me. Um, but he I'll tell you what, he played 
ridiculous in that game. And and so some kids need it. Now, another kid I say that to, and he's like, oh, coach is doubting me, and he loses confidence. So you got to know which kids you're talking to. No, it's funny you say that because in college, um, I love the guy to death. As a matter of fact, I had a, a nice conversation with him this past week on the phone. He called to check in. I, like I said, I told you before we got on the air, like I had a car accident, so coach was checking in on me. And, uh, you know, some of the guys that I played with in college were all texting me and checking in, which is kind of cool, too. It's a family. And, and you forget about that when, you know, you, we were talking 20 years out from college and, you know, I'm 15 years out from college. And it's kind of like, man, it's been that long since we've actually like talked. And but it was nice that those dudes reached out. But I hated my coach. Like, I don't think he understood me. And I, I didn't think I made. And at the time, I didn't understand his way he did stuff. So I played angry. Like I played, like I'm going to prove you wrong every single time. Um, and I have some kids like that. And, you know, the last practice of the year, I had a senior who was sloughing through everything and it really pissed me off. And I called one of my freshmen from JV over and I said, Hey, I want you to stand here with me and watch how we're defending this and how we're running this. And you're going to get ready to go in. But I just need you to know what you're doing so you can't go in and blow it up. Because if you do that, I'm going to blow you up. And he just kind of laughed. But I ended up throwing him in the fire. My senior wasn't intelligent enough to understand what I just did. And yeah. I looked at my dad, who's my assistant, and dad goes, they don't understand. They're not built like you. So I kind of had to take, as you put it, take a step back. I'm yeah. trying to motivate this kid to go harder. Like a freshman just took my spot in this rotation in a scrimmage. My yeah. last practice of high school, I'm pissed. No, he just kind of stood there and looked at me with this like deer in a headlight look like, what is going on? And yeah. so, you know, but that, but you talk about culture. I, <clears throat> I talked to the guys about that after that situation to my guys that are coming back next year. I'm like, here's, I'm going to start pushing your buttons a little bit to see which one of you are going to react in this way. And, you know, I'm a huge Herb Brooks fan from the movie miracle, he made those guys take that test to know which ones he could push and which ones he couldn't. I think yeah. that's absolutely genius, you yeah. know, to do stuff like that. Cause it is all about relationships. That's where you're going to you get know, your best people. Yeah. And you know, I think as a younger coach too, and, and when I say younger coach, I mean, even like three to five years ago, I was still on the, I mean, I was a lot better than young, young, but I was still thinking, okay, my, my job is two things. It is to get you to play well for us here, but I also got to get you ready for college. Mm-hmm. And a college basketball coach, by and large, does not care about your feelings. Like, <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> no. Dude's got to win or his kids ain't eating. You know what I mean? Like, So I felt like, yes, I know a softer, gentler approach might get him to play better for this game or in this season, but I still got to be this guy to get him so that he's at least experienced it before. And I just kind of, you know, I just started redefining what my, like, yes, we are going to get them ready to play college basketball and to play for college coaches. I think one thing we've got to do, you know, is make sure we do a good job of finding fit for them in college. Mm -hmm. That coach might not be the best coach for them. And there are guys out there that that aren't as off to handle as some others. But, you know, I think, I'm coaching this kid when he's 16. He doesn't have to be able to handle that until he's 18. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to get him ready today for that. Correct. And so I can, I think I'm going to have him more ready if I can guide him in the way that he needs me to guide him. 
um, with his personality. And in two years, he's going to be so much more mature, more confident in himself, more comfortable in his own skin that he can then handle that college coach yelling at him. Absolutely. You know, you, you made a point earlier, and I wrote it down, about Morgan and career decisions. And I know we're still talking about college. That's why I wanted to bring this up. Did you know that him and Mike Bray talked at length about him, Mike Bray leaving Indiana to come back and take the Maryland job? Did, did you know that? And that Morgan, yeah. Morgan told him, like, dude, it's not the right job for you. Like, you're at the job that's best for you, and here's why. And I think yeah. that's awesome. I think that's really, really cool. And, and that's the thing. So that's the thing about Coach Wooten and, and his disciples. Like, there's a number of guys I could go to, Seth included, and, you know, Jason Donnelly, who's the um, athletic director at Furman, Scott McClary, some, you know, Pete Strickland are guys that within that coaching tree that I know I count as mentors that I could go to. And what, what is common amongst all of them is they are not going to give you like that advice would have been different for a different guy that, that coach Wooten talked to. Mm-hmm. But for Mike Bray, and you look at the way he runs his system and the way he runs the type of play he likes to see on the court, the type of players he recruits would not have worked at a Maryland. No. Um, and, and so that was, that was advice for Mike Bray because coach Wooten knew him. It wasn't, you know, so many people give the same, like you could almost record the advice and then, all right, play the tape for if you're looking to change college jobs. Yeah. Boom. It's the same for everybody. Um, and that's, that's the difference, um, you know, with a lot of these guys that are, I don't want, you know, disciples or in the coaching tree from, from Coach Wooten is it really is a individualized approach. You know, I know one thing that, that your goal is, and, and you say you're a lifer as an assistant. I, I think that you, if you had the right opportunity, you would be an unbelievable head coach. That's just my personal opinion of how, of how I've gotten to know you over the last 12 years or so. Um, but Seth gives you a lot to do yes. within your program. Um, and he's a no ego kind of guy. Like it's, it's the way he runs his program is that way. Talk a little yeah. bit about how it's like to work with a guy like that and how it's worked with Seth. You know, how has he helped you evolve as a person and as a basketball coach? There's a lot loaded into that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the thing. I, Seth and I have been coaching together for 15 years. Yep. I'm not an easy enough person to work with and get along with to for that to happen unless Seth has some superpowers. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ambitious. I'm competitive. Um, I always want more. So like I'm a career assistant coach and, and I think at some point I, I will have an opportunity to be a head coach, but I'm not, uh, I think a lot of assistants are stressed out about like, I got to get that now. Like it will happen when it's supposed to happen. Yep. Um, but I don't take that from like, I'm not amb- like, I want, you know, I want more responsibility. And Seth, what he does is like you said, he has no ego. He will give me so many of the things like I, I'm always asking for more. So our, our first few years together, I was responsible for a certain a couple things. And then, you know, he could see, well, he's getting a little itchy. I think he's definitely capable of doing more. Let me give him more. And so in the 15 years, I've taken more and more off of his plate mm-hmm. onto my plate. And I think a lot of head coaches, 
would a not be comfortable with that because now it looks like this guy's doing my job. Correct. And I'm going to get flack for that. And in fact, Seth does, um, a lot of his coaching buddies and, you know, sometimes college coaches will notice and they'll go, Hey, you know, and they'll pick on Seth about, and he doesn't care because he's okay with like, I'll go recruit and people call me coach Seth, you know, like, cause I'm the guy that they've seen. Right. And, and I usually don't correct them, but you know, like we're okay. Like he's okay. I think most head coaches, would have like um, an ego or a jealousy involved there, a resentment involved there that maybe I'm overstepping. Right. Um, and Seth, Seth is like, listen, I have somebody who's good. Um, and, and, and I think what has made us work together is my weaknesses are his strengths and his weaknesses are my strengths. Right. And I think that we're, we're not, we see things in a similar way. Like our, beliefs and values, the things that we base our culture on are in common, but almost every other way we look at things and approach things is, is opposite. It's really funny. Like, you know, they say opposites attract, like, but that makes us a strong staff because we are having different viewpoints all the time. Like in meetings, we're not going to see things eye to eye all the time, but once we leave that meeting, we are a united front. Absolutely. to be able to have a staff where we can have like the things I, I kind of think outside of the box. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit crazy. I know a lot of kids that work that have worked out with me call me a mad scientist. Sometimes like I, I think of like crazy different things and Seth is much more kind of conservative and keep it simple. Um, so, but to be able to have those varying viewpoints and then us come together, I think you get the best of both worlds. So for that, we make a good team in terms of, um, you asked part of the question you asked that you ended with it. Why I said it's a loaded question is how is how has it changed me? I think um, just in who I've become as a coach, uh, I don't know if I could count or list the number of ways that Seth's mentorship has changed me as a person. That's awesome. um, you know, it, it it's it's tough. Um, I can't. You know, I was a fiery young. Uh, coach when I when I started working with them I continued to be there for a decent amount of the time we worked together but he had and that's not who he is he he's much more of a you know like kind of what we've been describing I've I've molded myself more into that but he's given me the freedom and enough leash to do that on my own terms he didn't force me into that box which I really appreciate he Mm -hmm. He saved me a number of times when I needed saving for myself, um, you know, whether it be with administrators or whatnot. He's he's gotten me out of, you know, out of the out of hot water a few times. But um, as we've gone along through our coaching career, um, I have become a calmer and more patient coach with players. I listened to a um, two of the other influences that I have are point guard college and um i I listen to basketball immersion podcast a lot and i listened to um a podcast where they talked about coaching with anger and um i actually played some of it for our team i'm gonna have to search that one out players play with anger sometimes and um so and we could talk about like kind of some of the stuff we do mentally in the off season but um it was it really brought some things home for me 
listening to that in terms of who I used to be mm-hmm. and who I'm trying to become. And I think whenever you stop on that journey and you think I'm there mm-hmm. is when trouble, like I'm not there yet. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we got to keep making progress, but so much of the progress I've made, I mean, Seth is a huge influence. Um, knowing a lot of the lessons from coach Wooten, learning some of the approach that point guard college has, and then some of these things on basketball immersion, I think it all comes together. Um, but I, I could not have gotten into a better situation where um allowed I, I would rather be kind of behind the scenes most people who know me well know that i want to do most of the work that that leads to the stuff you see but i don't want to be seen right. you know i want to be behind and so seth has given me a platform to do all of the stuff that leads to what happens on the court and still be you know he's the front man of the band mm-hmm. and uh, I really appreciate that. And then the guidance and the mentorship that he's given me through those years to make me a better version of what I was, um, is priceless. Yeah. No, I mean, you're lucky you work for a good one. And, uh, you know, I, I texted you guys right after the game when I saw that you won the championship the other night and, you know, I thought I'm going to reach out and talk to you. And I, I talked to Seth as well. And he'd like to come on and kind of share some of his stories and, and everything as well. So I just know that what you guys have done has been, awesome i do enjoy watching it from a distance and you know if i ever get back to the college level one day it'd be fun to recruit some of your kids because i know they're going to be well versed in every aspect of life to be successful both on and off the court at the collegiate level yeah i mean that's the point to us and and if what my job was is to teach a kid how to dribble shoot pass defend rebound better and draw plays on a whiteboard and have them actually like if that was the extent of my job i would have stepped out you know like basketball is the vehicle and medium through which we teach life mm-hmm. um and and our mission is to change lives right and yeah. so we use basketball to do that because when you uh like I, I teach math too right like a lot of the kids in my math class have never had success in math they don't like math they think they're bad at math they don't want to be there. So the life lessons, I can teach them some life lessons, but I don't necessarily have a naturally receptive audience. They didn't choose to be in that class. They'd rather be somewhere else, right? That when we have a basketball team, that that's their thing. They mm-hmm. want to be on this team. They want to be in this class, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and not only, so we have a receptive audience. We can teach them the lessons we want them to have through the thing they love. And even better than that, I think we learn most of our lessons that are valuable and lifelong when we are at our emotional highs and lows and in competition. And in, you know, we, like I told the guys before, can't remember if it was the semifinal or the final game. I said, I just looked at them and I said, guys, in the last three years, because that nucleus of that team was together, for the last three years, I said, haven't we experienced together just about every emotion known to man? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we have. I said, like, we're ready, you know? And so like you can teach life lessons in a math classroom when everybody's like stable and like half asleep or whatever. But when you can get kids as happy as they've ever been, as sad as they've ever been, as mad as they've ever been, like those emotional, you know, those are reached Mm -hmm. in basketball. You can teach the real lessons then. Yeah. And so for 
what it's about. No, I totally agree. Um, I know you're a busy guy, and like I said, I wanted to get you on on the show. I want to bring you back on, to be honest with you, and we can kind of break some more stuff down that you guys do, and and especially in the off season now that we're getting into that. Um, yeah. But you know, what's your Easter weekend look like? You guys got any plans? I, you know, we're, I'm gonna hang out. You know, uh, just kind of take take a little bit of rest, still decompressing from from a season. So, how long does it take you to decompress? I don't ever fully decompress. Most people that know me know I'm always on. That's what I figured. Um, for me, decompressing right now is putting together highlight tape for the guys and reaching out to college coaches and trying to get some guys recruited. Nice. So it takes a different form, really. Yeah. Still working, but it's a different aspect of working. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't like a lot of free time. I'm not good with free time. I'm, I'd much rather be on. Yeah. No, I, I, it takes me about two weeks or so to kind of get totally like woosawed out. And, you know, after that, it's back to work. But unfortunately, COVID, we don't know when we're going to be able to get back in the gym, the way this public school system set up. It, it could be yeah. next week. It could be three months. We have no idea. So, uh, right. you know, it, it, that's the toughest part with through this quarantine stuff. You kind of learn not I'm going to say this and it's going to sound weird, but how much you actually don't do when you when you have basketball or vice versa you yeah. know it, it's, it, it's pretty it, crazy had free time and i'm like whoa what am i gonna and and i did a lot of stuff but you know what i noticed during this time too is um i've always been a believer of this and i still am i think we talked a lot about relationships here and like mm-hmm. when relationships matter you really want to go analog. You don't want to go digital. You want to be face to face, person to person. You want to be able to like reach out and put a hand on a shoulder, or, you know, fist bump. Yeah. Like I think that where relationships are strengthened. What was really a challenge is over that time is everything was through. It was video calls and it was texting and it was. Um, and so, thankfully, we had built the relationships already. But I, I can't imagine if we were starting out with a brand new team during this time. I, I don't know what I would do um, because, you know, relationships really have to be no matter how much technology we get in this world. It's still going to be a person, a people to people world. Mm-hmm. And analog is the best way to do that, I believe. I'm, I'm with you on that. It was very difficult. I'm not a Zoom kind of guy, but we had to do it just because. But it just was it's not me. And I, and I know that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, Coach, I appreciate you being on the show. I, uh, like I said, I want to have you back on and, you know, you guys have done some awesome stuff and I want to congratulate you again on winning the Baltimore Catholic league championship. Appreciate it. Have a, a good rest of your holiday and I'll be catching up with you soon. You too, Chad. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks. I really appreciate coach being on the show. I know he's a busy guy and it's going into holiday weekend, but, uh, when he and I texted back and forth, I knew we could fit in some time to get on the show and I really appreciate that. I look forward to having him back on the show. He's a wealth of knowledge and he will be able to help young coaches as well as players understand how to develop their games and become better coaches, better players, and better people. So I appreciate Coach. This is the show for today here on Good Friday. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. We will be back on air tomorrow. Tomorrow we have a little bit of therapy for me, and then I have a Little League baseball game that I'll be attending. I'm really looking forward to that. So once I get back from the Little League game, we'll be back on the air. I can talk about that. I can talk about the Final Four and what's going to be happening with that with a couple predictions. And I have one coach that's going to be on tomorrow giving me his predictions. Thank you for listening to Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast, and we will talk to you soon.